with regard to some institutions what would seem like two extremes. One, there should never be any talk about the prayogen, prayogen, prayogen the goal, rasananda. And the other, talking about ras in a way that seems to bring it down to the mundane when indeed a, a person's activities or a devotee's activities maybe are more by the modes of nature that determine their likes or dislikes and on the basis of that making a conclusion as to the nature of their um, particulars in the prayogen, what will be their relationship with Krishna, what is their relationship with Krishna. So um, it seems to be two extremes at the same time. There's some, some truth to both and so some balance, right? So come Somewhere in the middle, that seems desirable from the way you've, you've uh, explained your experience. So, the scriptures deal with three subjects. Mahaprabhu taught this very clearly to Prakashananda Saraswati. In his discussion with him in Banaras, he was a, an Advaitan, Mayavadan, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu converted him to Bhakti and began to explain the sutras of Vyas, which was the preoccupation of Prakashananda Saraswati as an Advaitin, as a jnani, uh, from a bhakti perspective. And, of course, he came to the point of emphasizing that the Srimad Bhagavatam is a natural commentary on the sutras. And then he went on to say that the whole subject matter of the scriptures, and the Bhagavatam in particular, of course, is divided into three, the whole discussion is divided into three subjects. Sambandha, Abhidheya, and Prayojana. So, Prayojana is one-third of the discussion, so it wouldn't seem appropriate to discount it altogether. Sambandha means, of course, the knowledge of uh, how things are related to one another, uh, how the jivas are related to, to, the, to maya, maya is related to 
to God and uh, and uh, God is related to the jivas and so on and so forth and that can of course be distilled to the point where we say for example that diksha initiation is presided over by sambandha and it's the act of initiating if you will a uh, relationship with Krishna on the part of the the uh, student through the transmission of the mantra, which is the began, transcendental knowledge. And then the teaching, of course, the siksha, how to conduct oneself in such a way that that mantra will reveal itself and so forth. And that revelation is then involves establishing that sense of identity that is relational. And as it develops in sadhana bhakti, at uh, the stage of ruchi and asakti, one graduates from sadhana bhakti, enters into bhava bhakti, which is the perfection, the goal of sadhana bhakti, and then that bhava is, is of course, uh, cultivated in turn, so to speak, into prem prayojan. So to step into the that relationship and once and once and for all. So. Then Abhideya is, is that practice, whether it be in Sadhana Bhakti or in Baba Bhakti, there's some practice. Baba Bhakti, the practice is fully informed. So you're practicing your identity, so to speak. And in Sadhana Bhakti, we are practicing in a slightly different way, to a large extent at any rate, that practicing submission, which is the underlying foundation there of the spiritual reality, we are subordinate. Absolute. This is the basic idea. Cultivation of faith and sharanagati, submission as opposed to longing, which we discussed a little bit the other day, the other evening. And again, so samanda abhideya, the means, the means being bhakti informed theoretically, and then in, ba, in sadhana bhakti and bhava bhakti informed through experience and realization. So that kind of practice in Baba Bhakti has more power. As much as we're informed about what we're doing, the better we're going to be able to do it, is the idea. And then Prayojan. So Prayojan is one of the subjects. It can't be neglected altogether. Otherwise, why it's written in the book. So there must be at some point where it becomes relevant. We were talking this morning about the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam as we read from it and how Shijiva had emphasized that Bhagavat Shravan, hearing the Bhagavatam, ultimately means the tenth canto. And in the context of that, we find our place, right? We find our page there to enter into the Leela. So, will we never read that? Prabhupada gave the, uh, his, uh, what would he call it? Did he call it a summary study or did he call it a, anyway, it's the Krishna book, he called it. <laughs> Uh, very uh, to see those big K R S N A with the three dots on there it just makes you go like wow what's that about? I remember I was a young man and I had left Jamaica, heading back following the Maha Mantra. No, before I went actually on my way there, and I was chanting it. And we stopped at a what was called a crash pad in those days. It was New Year's Eve, and um, somebody you know they had left their house open for other people that crash. <laughs> so we crashed there. It was uh, New Year's was New Year's Eve and it came the night before and then that, that next morning was New Year's New Year's Eve. 
and uh, the inhabitants were kind of morose, wondering what they were going to do with their lives, and they were frustrated that they hadn't, another year had gone by and they hadn't become enlightened. And I was quite enthusiastic about the prospect of enlightenment myself, and um, I went out and I baked some vegetables and I cooked this vegetable stew for them and so forth, and this is an offering to the house, you know, that we had been allowed to crash in, and then they, they said, well, we only eat raw food. So there I had a whole pot of it, you know, so I had to eat as much as I could and distribute it elsewhere. But I found them to be rather un, un, um, enlivening kind of association. And I glanced over on the, forgive me for this tangent, but I'm reminded of it. And, and uh, I glanced over on the bookshelf and there was this big fat book, K-R-S-N-A, you know, with the dots under the and it was, looked very esoteric, and I was chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. So I said, you know, what's that? And they looked at that, and they said, yeah, that's for you. That's where you belong, they told me. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, where do I, you know, where do I find that? And so they told me, oh, there's a Krishna temple over in Coconut Grove. This was in Miami, so it's on my way to uh, Jamaica. So anyway, I went there, and... and uh, Got some more insight and so forth. So, anyway, it's a powerful book. Later in my life, then a couple of years later, so I was distributing it everywhere and and uh, to all kinds of people. It must have come out in 1970 or 70 or 1970, um, something like that. So, uh, anyway, the point is that the book is the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam rendered by Prabhupada with a commentary and a prose kind of edition. Once one of my godbrothers asked Prabhupada about what appeared to be a dilemma, that you say we should read the first nine canos, but you give him the Krishna book, which is the tenth cano, first. And Prabhupada said something like, um, what did he say? He said something like, No, he said, so sweet first, yeah, give the sweet first of what's to come. You know, to get some, you know, vaccination or something. You're not. What's to come? Some some familiarity with, with the goal. Otherwise, we'll be interested in pursuing. And of course, that's why we're interested. We're interested in Krishna, Krishna Leela, a relationship with Krishna, and so forth. So, to have a, you know, a policy that no no discussion of this whatsoever is is obviously was not his policy. So. Um, that seems a bit extreme. At the same time, then there may be ways in which we become preoccupied with that that are uh, inappropriate. We should be preoccupied in sadhana bhakti with sharanagati, growing our shraddha through good association and so forth. And longing will come more in bhava bhakti. There will be some longing also. Um, so what should we do in the stage of Sadhana, we should hear and associate, and we become naturally attracted, we become connected with a particular lineage, all for good reasons. And so, it's not a lot of guesswork here, you know. There's the Gopi Bhav and, and Sakya Rasa, so basically this is what the lineage is, is giving. If you want Vatsalya Rasa, you might want to move over to the Vallabha Sampradaya, something where they, they emphasize that. This is the emphasis in Gaudiya Sampradaya. So, the goal is Brajabhakti, and um, as we progress, then 
our interest in a particular goal will be enhanced, and we like to read those particular pastimes. We like to chant the names of Bhagavan that are related to that sentiment and so forth, and that will foster a kind of remembrance, a kind of smarnam naturally. So you haven't got to get all worked up and worried about it. Raghunuga Bhakti is not something to be worried about. So I'm doing something wrong out of fear or something. No, it's very natural. So you enter into the Rag Bhakti without ruchi by the generosity of the of the sadhus and who you become attracted to who are pursuing that. So you attach yourself to, to that sadhu, that guru, and follow his or her instructions and they should instruct you to be focused on cleansing the heart for the purpose of, not unto itself, an art of liberty for art of poverty, that I might become suitable for participating there, getting rid of the extra baggage and so forth. So, um, some focus there, as I said, some aspiration, but then some, we should be well aware of where we are, where we want to go, and perhaps a little more aware of where we are, which tells us what we have to do in order to go there. So you have to connect the two. You have to connect where I am with where I want to go in terms of what's the next step, what I have to do, and so forth. But then the, the, the goal will unfold in a, in, a, in a natural way. It's not a forced kind of a thing. So uh, there should be some discussion, like here we were discussing in a, in a balanced way, and as much emphasizing where we are as much as the goal, and probably was showing us giving the Krishna book first, and so on and so forth. So that's the, the one side. It, it has to be, there has to be some discussion of this. It's a, you know, a third or so of the, of the, of the texts. Bhaktivinoda wrote Bhagavad Arka, Marichinimal, Thousand rays of the Bhagavatam and divided the, the, these thousand verses he took of the Bhagavatam, divided them into Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. So, obviously, as we progress, then Prayojana will be more, we'll become more preoccupied with that because we become more interested in it. So, you're not that interested in it, so that's why some books may not be appropriate. And I may say, you know, that book's not important, don't read, don't read that book. It may be a very important book, but it may not be important to you. You won't find it interesting, because you don't have enough interest in the subject. So you won't get out of it what's uh, being offered there. So sometimes there will be statements like, certain books should not be read, and so forth. And another, another side of it is, they may not need to be read necessarily, theoretically, from your practice, everything could come, that's back. But then they were written also for people at certain stages of progress and so forth where they'll be most helpful. You take a book like, for example, Ujjval Nilmani, which is Rupa Goswami's sequel to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. In Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he deals with every rasa and the constituents of rasa and so forth. And he deals with sadhana, bhava, prem, Rasa, all its constituents, the Krishna is the object of love, the devotee is the ashray of different types of love, and so forth. He's very objective there. He's taking a neutral position. He steps back from his own bhava to give the whole thing, sadhana bhakti, within that vaidhi and rag bhakti, and so bhakti rasamrita sindhu, the whole ocean right, of bhakti rasa from beginning to end. Then Ujbal Nilamani, he writes about his own 
sentiment and gives examples and so forth. And the book basically speaking about using the poetic handles from secular Rasa Shastra, he seeks to give devotees pursuing that same sentiment to handle terms to describe uh, different aesthetic conditions of rapture and, and so forth. And so all the technical names. And then and there'll be an example from the Leela of one or another. So someone who's in a higher stage will be able to take that, churn that, so forth. That'll become a, a, particularly someone in the Sakiras is described in two chapters, you know, only briefly. That's why you find, for example, in Jaiva Dharma, you have two principal characters, Brajanath and Vijay Kumar. And they are being schooled by Siksha Guru in Puri. And as they go further, then the subject of Ujjmala Nilani comes out in the book. It's the last part of Jaiva Dharma, Bhakti Vinod's language, basically. The whole of the Ujjmala Nilani is there. And at a certain point, then uh, Brajanath drops out of the, converse, the, the, the discussion because he's awakened a sentiment for Sakyarasa and Ujjmala Nilamani is not dealing with it. So there's another reason why it may not be important for you. It may be important. There's a, there may be a Madhurya aspect of one Saki and it may be valuable from that point of view and so forth. But these are higher things. In the beginning stages, we should concern ourselves with um, cultivation of Shraddha, Sharanagati, serving ego, and so forth. And then interest will come in a natural way and not in a forced way. And now maybe that's what you're talking about. The other side, the other experience you had was a group of devotees telling you that because you cook, you must be a, you must be a gopi. Because you worship Tulsi, you must be a gopi. Of course, Tulsi is Vrindadevi. Vrindadevi is, is at least equally affectionate towards Radha and Krishna, if not Krishna Snehadika, <laughs> if not more favorable to Krishna than in Radha in the Leela. So that's another topic, but <laughs> so these kind of things are, are what do we think that some of Nityananda's associates who are all Gopals they never cooked? <laughs> did Draupadi cook? What do you think? Draupadi of the Pandavas? Did she cook? Whatever she cooked was like nectar. Draupadi's cooking was blessed, wasn't it? Draupadi got a, a blessing. That as long, whatever she cooked would be like immortal nectar. And as long as there was a little piece left in the pot, then people, there would be enough to feed anybody. I think it was in relation to Durvas or something. Durvas came and wanted a meal or something like that. And he was an angry gani, like we mentioned this morning. <laughs> and, um, and so, anyway, some I forget exactly from the Mahabharata, but the Pandavas were put in some difficulty. But there was a little piece of something left, a little piece of rice, and so she, because of that, there was Krishna supplied unlimited, and she could feed all of Durvasa's thousand disciples, and so so. Draupadi was a big cook, is the point. When the story of the Nirupati Vaishnava, you know the story from Mahabharata, also Pujapashitamars like like tell that um, during the Rajasuya sacrifice where. Uh, Yudhisthira was installed as the emperor, then um, the whole thing was done and Krishna said it's not complete yet because what, the bell didn't ring or something? 
But there was something that was supposed to happen. A bell was supposed to ring or something. It didn't ring. Hmm? It was supposed to ring on its own or something? Anyway, so it didn't ring. <laughs> and so what was wrong? They did everything right. And, and Krishna stepped in and said, no, here's one thing. You did everything. You fed the Brahmins. You, you know, uh, worshipped the cows. You made the sacrifices, chanted the mantras. You did everything right. You know. But one thing, you didn't feed a Nirupati Vaishnava. Near upadi means without any upadi, without any designation. So they said, oh, okay, well, where can we find one? He said, I, I think there's one over there, in the village there. So they went and there comes the king, you know, the emperor, and uh, his, his, his brothers and so forth. And, and Draupadi, the royal entourage, to this sudra's quarters. And he's wondering, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Here comes the king, my house, oh my God. He said, no, 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 yeah. we want to feed you. Yeah. Krishna said, you're near Padivashtam, we want to feed you a royal meal so that the sacrifice, Rajasuya, will be complete. So he said, oh, okay. So they took him to the palace, and he was, of course, unacquainted with all the royal etiquette and so forth. And they sat him down and drove Prikot. Wonderful feast of so many different preparations, so many different subtle tastes to satisfy every taste bud uh, on his tongue. And so they gave him the meal, and then he began to eat. He mixed everything together, like Kitri. <laughs> and then he began to eat, and Dropi's watching and said, in her mind, she thought, oh, he's a lower class person, and he's a Nirupati. Huh. Oh. And so he finished eating, and no bell. There was no bell. So then they said, Krishna, now what? He said, well, has anyone made any offense to this Nirupati? Nirupati means beyond all designations, and so forth. And then Draupadi volunteered, I did this, is that an offense? I thought, oh, he's a sudra, or he's a lower class person. Krishna said, ah, cook again. And so again he ate, right? Because he does whatever Krishna wants. So though he was full, he had to eat again. Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we have to enjoy for Krishna also. That's, that's also there. Sometimes we have to renounce. Sometimes we have to enjoy. So anyway, he ate again and the bell rang. The Nirupati Vaishnava had been served. So anyway, it's a little sidetracked, but she's a good cook. And she's in Sakyarasa. It is clearly mentioned in Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu. She is in Saki. She's a Puri Sambandi, like Arjuna, from the city. In Sakyaras, pure Sakyarasa. Not in Braj, but. And she's cooking all the time. So just because someone is cooking <laughs> doesn't mean that they're in Madhurirasa. They could be cooking for any, any number of reasons. Prabhupada himself was a good cook, right? He said, Today I cooked. Buddy, buddy, what is it? Chatri. Buddy Chatri. Hmm? And it was good. Hmm? <laughs> my stomach said a little bit. My friend Krishna was was rowing the boat, was a captain on the boat. I thought, we well, were going to make it to the other side. <laughs> so that's a little over the, way, way over the top there. At the same time, as I said, as there's some truth to know you shouldn't be dabbling in this topic on the one side, there may be truth on the other side. That something in your person 
will be indicative of your prayogen, your goal, your, your, your potential, as much as you've been practicing. Because we come in touch with the Guru Parampara, I mean, we come in touch with the other side. The problem is only that we're in touch with other things at the same time. That's the generosity of bhakti, of course. But it's not that we have no connection. All of a sudden, Baba Bhakti comes in, now well, we've got a connection with the Sarup Shakti. No, the holy name is pure. Bhakti itself is a manifestation of Sarup Shakti. So there's something else in the way. Gradually, that's being cleared away. Then some tangible evidence of the ingress is there in the form of ruchi and asakti and so forth. And this is before Bhava Bhakti. And even in earlier stages, it's for a seer. It depends. If someone's coming the first time in this lifetime, second time, third time, fourth time, hundredth time, thousand and eighth time, then something would be more evident about them, about their potential, about their prospect and so forth to the seer. Then, um, they're not. Bhakti Thakur explains that as nishta ruchi develop, then one has a particular fixation and taste. It will be discussed with the guru, and and he will give his seal of approval. Yes, that's the direction to go in. And so, adjust yourself like this, and so. So there's something to that, but I mean, what you talked about seems to be uh, rather an, an extreme, and it's. It's un, in my opinion, it's it's unbecoming. It brings uh, the, the highest thing down to a very low level, and let's say someone may be preoccupied, and interested in something because of the influence of the modes of nature upon them, more than because of their bhakti. They may be their little bhakti there. So someone could, you know, join today who loves to cook. You know, so. Well, we, <laughs> But anyway, cooking, everybody eats in Vrindavan, and, and all Vaishnavas know how to cook. At least halava. Halava, kitri, puri. You can satisfy any Vaishnava. <laughs> and Vaishnava has to cook because he's, he has to offer food to Krishna. He doesn't eat, but he has to offer food to Krishna. Krishna eats. So he has to know something about cooking, participate in that. So some balance. There's truth on both sides there. And there's excess, as you explained anyway, on both sides that becomes problematic. One end it becomes cheapened. And that's that's a great loss. That's uh, like what's worse, uh, a pauper or a thief. What's worse? It's worse to be poor or to be a thief. To be a thief is worse, right? Try to steal the thing. To not have it. Well, that's not so bad. You can get it, but if you steal, trying to steal it, a jailbreak, you know, is worse than the guy that stays in the jail and gets reformed, goes through the, the method and so forth. So, so we are not fond of that, that idea. We should be very cautious about that. And on the other side, then, a pauper. I don't know if that would be the way to explain that. Poor understanding, perhaps. What that comes from, I mean, I don't, I only know that in one particular sect, that kind of overemphasis, it, there was an, there was an appropriate emphasis coming from Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakura and Bhakti Vinodakura. I guess over time it can get distorted when you want to know something or appear that you do, 
and you actually don't, then you can jump on these kind of statements about caution about such topics and make them laws. Nobody can hear about them. Then nobody can ask you something that you don't know. It's a convenient way for artificially elevating oneself to the point of a, of a teacher, perhaps. Keep them in the dark. and uh, Whether that's conscious or not, or whether that's what goes on, I, I don't know. But there are cautions, and they are appropriate. But when we make the cautions the laws, then we've, we've misunderstood. So that's the problem, too. Because, again, if there's no discussion about the ideal, then how will you ever go there? How well informed will your practice be? I mean, I suppose theoretically you can just chant and so forth. But the more informed your chanting is, the better. So, no discussion about that is not the standard set by Bhaktivinoda Thakur and his Parivara. So, that's an extreme as well. Something else about that? Does that help? So, you haven't got to do anything, you know, like a very good hurry, fix that. You know, start meditating or something. Meditation will come from kirtan and the dynamic kirtan of being engaged for outreach and so forth. Yeah. Um, I've heard it said that Trader Marsh never read like Woodrow Hill and maybe other books like Gita Govinda, whatnot. And you made the point that his favorite part of the Chicken Charge and Rita has a lot of that. But I was just wondering if that is accurate. He never read those books. Shri used to quote Gita Govinda at times. He liked certain sections there. So he seemed to be have been acquainted with that book. He also quoted Ujjwal Nilmani sometimes, but primarily as it's represented in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So you can find Gita it may be as well that his now that I think about his citing of Gita Govinda, because Gita Govinda is cited in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Ujjwal Nilmani is cited there, and as I said, the whole of Jaiva, last part of Jayavadharma is all reiterating the whole of Ujjwal Nilmani. So he may have never read the book itself, but then again, if you take what Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami has distilled as being essential from, for example, Ujjmalimani, and putting it in Chaitanya Charitamrita, then um, he may have thought like that because of the caution of Bhaktisiddhanta Sosti Thakur. So he did mention that book in particular. He had, hadn't read Ujjmalimani, but he said, but I'm not an atheist. And he meant, my Guru Maharaj didn't stress it, so I, I believe in him. So I think that I can, I'd be fine without without reading that, but he was well acquainted with the sections of it cited in uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita. And I don't know, he may have read it, even though he said he, he didn't, who knows. He, he, he quoted it, quoted it um, here and there. Um, and he said that Bhaktisiddhanta were certain sections of Chaitanya Charitamrita were not to be read, and he emphasized Chaitanya Bhagavad. But as I mentioned, it's Ramana Samvad, which is one of those sections, was the favorite section of Chaitanya Charitamrita. So the idea is that cautions about certain books may be given as a general statement to the sect, to the students, and that doesn't mean that it's it it's a it serves for all time, for all conditions, and so on and so forth. So, and that can be taken out of 
out of context and make a religion out of that. You know, burn no dwell nilani. It's bad. Something like that. It has its, it has its place. Bhakti Sansarsi Tagore liked to emphasize Chaitanya Bhagavat. But, you know, this was, he, he, he made clear this was for giving them a good foundation and so forth. And they gave a famous lecture at Radhakund where he said, you know, I labor on these points, but don't think that these higher books are not for us. And they, they, they are. We just have to go there in an appropriate way. So, our, our goal is not an art and liberty, it's art of poverty. An art and liberty means to remove the unwanted things, but he said that's not our goal. That may be an interim goal. The goal is art the poverty, to embrace that which is worth having. And that is Bhakti Rasa. That's the one thing worth having, that you should beg, borrow or steal to get. Mm-hmm. It's a, somehow or other, to get the nectar of the name Bhakti Rasa. So, and of course, there's, you know, the name comes up, so that's appropriate. I heard Bhakti Pramod Purimarsh once asked a question regarding eligibility for Rag Bhakti and maybe something, Uj Nilmani or something like that. And he said, Baba, he said, I tell you one thing, he said, you will never understand that unless, till you chant the holy name offenselessly. So why don't you try that? Work on that. Hmm? Chanting offenselessly. And this was the kind of emphasis of Bhakti Siddhartha where everything will come from that. But we that's troublesome, so we'd rather to go with our intellect into the areas where intellect has no real access. It only scratches the surface, it only licks the outside of the bottle of the honey that the, the sweetness that that's all about. And then it misconstrues it and, and so forth. So that doesn't mean we shouldn't use our intellect to understand, but under good guidance and so on. But um, if we chant purely, then we have the capacity to understand these things readily. It's understood with a pure heart, not just with a brain. And so without emphasis on, on the work of sacrifice and surrender and so forth, and chanting purely, attentively, well, I've seen it happen. People will just get intellectually absorbed in higher topics and uh, lose interest in them. They lose interest in them because they're, they're engaged in an intellectual exercise. And it's interesting for a while because there's new details and, and so forth. And, and you can sound like you know something. After a while, oh, it's just, well, anyway, I did that. Now my intellect appetite wants to devour something else. So we should be careful about that. We should use the head, as I said, to soften the heart, think how to chant purely, how to serve, uh, you know, sincerely, and develop the serving ego and so forth. This is important. Otherwise, I say, it becomes an intellectual exercise, carry you for a while until you've read all the books and figured it all out, and then it becomes boring to you. Intellect likes to make things like itself, dead. If you go there with your heart, with faith, to surrender, sharanagati and so forth, then you never tire. Swadhu, swadhu, pade, pade. You'll never tire of hearing that. What else? Yes? Um, you were saying how our lineage offers primarily um, Madhuri Rasa and Sakya Rasa. I was just wondering, 
um, of the Sakiras that's um, primarily in the lineage? Is it uh, Puyanarma Sakya or is there also pure Sakya? That's yeah, both, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, this morning we heard um, some wonderful definitive statements of Sri Rajiva Maharaj about Prabhupada's nature. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about well, Siddharmarsh once said that to us, one thing you should know, Swami Maharaj, which is how he affectionately referred to Prabhupada, his sannyas name, Swami Maharaj and I are not one. Because Prabhupada's disciples were coming to him and asking questions, and he was answering questions differently than they were accustomed to hearing Prabhupada answer the questions. And so they try to like get them to answer the way Prabhupada answered. Because <laughs> some of them thought that was a problem or something like that or or whatever. So, you know, he was quite astute and all so he said, Look, let's get one thing straight here. Swami Maharaj and I are not one, okay? We got different opinions about things. If can you digest that? If you want to come back tomorrow, that's fine, you know. But if you can't digest that those are the ground rules here. I've got my own thinking about things. It's all within the context of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Krishna consciousness. It's a big world. There are a lot of possibilities there. There are different ways to think about these verses and how they may apply and different sentiments and the whole 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 thing. So let's get that straight. And I really liked that about Sridhar Maharaj. Rather than saying, you know, it's an artificial way, Prabhupada and I are one. Prabhupada merged into my body when he left the world, you know. <laughs> so you, you can you can get him right here. There's no difference between what I say and, he, and then you got to make this whole convoluted, you know, way of demonstrating that when they say things that are very different and and so on. So he he like just like let's get it clear here. Swami Maharaj and I are not one in all respects. Now, if you think that's a bad thing, then okay, you don't have to come back. If you think that's okay and you can understand what I'm saying, but then, and so um, I think he meant that in a, in, a, in a general way, as I'm explaining. But later, some of us asked, "What did you mean by that?" So then he took it to a higher level, in more intimate circles, who had passed through the, you know, whatever you say, we don't mind, you know, whoever you answer questions, we find it fascinating. That's fine. We found Prabhupada's answers fascinating too. This is fascinating that there could be two people answering in such a way that would turn our heads and hearts and so forth. So he was asked, what did you mean? Then he said, as far as I can tell, this is my thinking. And then he launched into that kind of a discussion that we read this morning where he identified Prabhupada's affinity as that for Sakyarasa. And he also mentioned another godbrother of of theirs, Kenshin Krishna's Babaji Maharaj, and his sentiments for Sakiras, and how he had written to Sridhar Maharaj from the Braj and told him, I've settled here in this. And I had the, the vision of Krishna and Balaram with all their cows heading into the forest, and I was chanting, calling, Wait for me! <laughs> and they turned back. And I'm staying there. That I found my, I settled here in this, in this place. Kinchina Krishna Das Babaji Maharaj Ki Jai. So he was very fond of Sridhar Maharaj. They had a friendly connection. He had the highest regard for Sridhar Maharaj. He would like to come and 
sing songs about Sridhar Maharaj and so forth. When one of my gobblers, who was the gobbler who first began editing the talks of Sridhar Maharaj and turning them into books, first came to Sridhar Maharaj's mouth, this was long before Prabhupada had left. He came there for some reason or something. Krishna, oh, he came there because he heard Krishna's Babaji Maharaj was doing kirtan there. So he came with his tape recorder because he was a kirtaneer to record the the, the, the chanting of Kinshina Krishnadas Babaji Marsh, Sridhar Marsh's moth. He didn't know who Sridhar Marsh was or anything. So Babaji Marsh says, what are you doing? You know, he's got this little black you know, microphone. He said, I'm recording your chanting. He said, <laughs> he laughed. He said, that is not the teaching. The teaching is that you should chant. <laughs> not that you should record my chanting. The teaching is that you should chant. So he had that kind of Perfect answers, you know, for imperfect questions, you know, kind of thing. So, so then he said, "But if you want to record something with that, come with me." And then he took him up onto the veranda where Shudra Marsh was sitting. He said, "Whatever he says, you put that in your box." <laughs> so they had a very affectionate relationship, and he had a very affectionate relationship with Prabhupada too. Krishna's Babaji Maharaj was the one that brought Rana Swami to Prabhupada. He said, oh, you should go here. One of my godbrothers, he's preaching to you kind of people. You should come to him. And he took him there. So, um, anyway, he was found his place in Sakyarasa. And he wrote to Sridhar Maharaj about it. So Sridhar Maharaj cited that. But he said, but, but, but my, my sentiment is, is following in the footsteps of the um, handmaidens of Radha. So we have both influences in our sect. No problem. Through <laughs> our sect, you can, you can go in the other direction. As, as, as you like. As your heart comes out, as, as the dust comes off, and so forth. So, uh, and of course, that sentiment is widely you know, discussed in, in, in the texts and so forth. Uh, and actually, in fact, what is it, a day or two before, we had published on the Harmonist an article of Sridhar Marsh speaking about Manjari Bhava and the speciality of that. So that's where his heart, that's where it went naturally. And on the other side, there's a lot of interaction there. It's not like this. There about walls are built up. There may be a stage in, in practice where it's conducive to be with those of a certain sentiment. You can visit others and argue with them about higher things, mm-hmm. perhaps. But on the other side, then, it's all a composite, right? They're all working together, making the whole thing possible. Love affair of Radha and Krishna becoming possible by so many supporting players. They have what they have the Best actor, best actress, and what other titles they have? Like best, best supporting, best supporting, you know, that's important. <laughs> also, so what else? Yes. Um, I was thinking, of course, in our lineage, which is represented by uh, Mahaprabhu, um, he represents uh, the Krishna, you know, Radha Krishna, their romantic side and everything. So it makes sense that the Madhurya Ras and the Prinarmasakyas who were involved in the romantic side would have uh, this understanding of Krishna in this romantic way. 
So I was wondering, in the um, uh, bhaktas in pure sakya, it would almost seem like they would have a different conception of, of Krishna than the Gaudiya lineage. But I assume that's really wrong. So I was wondering how it is that they see Krishna in the romantic, you know, see the Krishna represented by Chaitanya as well as someone, or as, you know, as good as someone, or not as good, like in the same way um, as someone in Vidurya or Priyanara Sakya. But how they see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Yeah. So how does it that they see the Krishna represented by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Like the people in the other uh, so, what your question is is whether the Radha Bhav of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which might be more prominent to the Madhurya Bhaktas or those who have Madhurya in their Bhakti, as opposed to those in Sakyarasa, they will see more, they will see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Krishna and Nityananda Prabhu as, as Balaram. And that the emphasis on the side of Mahaprabhu's Radha Bhav will be less. Or, not necessarily, but they'll be less focused on it, but it's not that, for example, uh, Sridham, who's in pure Sakyarasa, has no idea that Krishna loves Radharani. No, he knows. Sudam, Vasudam, Sridham, all these, they, they are the principal players in pure Sakya. And they know everything about Krishna. They just don't participate directly the most part, in those leelas. But they, they know everything about it. Sridham, Sudam, Vasudam, Kinkini, these four are mentioned in the tantras as Krishna's ego, his intelligence, his mind, his heart. Wherever Krishna goes, his mind, his heart, his ego all go there with him, invisibly. So they know everything. They were there also for the Gopi Vastrahara and Alila. That's when Krishna married them in one sense. He stole their clothes, so having seen them naked then, they couldn't be married by anybody else was the idea. So Krishna told them, then, we'll fix this up later on. We'll consummate this. That's the Rasa dance. So those boys were there in the tree with Krishna. Of course, they were, you know, taken a little differently, but uh, boys will be boys. So. <laughs> No, the, everybody knows. Shoda knows. And it's inappropriate, but she loves it nonetheless. But it's not appropriate, so she has to be against it. Krishna has to stay in at night. He can't go out. This is what will happen. But she's all for it. There's nobody that she would like Krishna to be with more than Radha. And every other gopi as well. So, But for the sake of the, of the whole drama... Then some directly participate, some don't, but indirectly they're participating, facilitating, and so forth. Does that help? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like, like you take, well, even, what's his name? Glory Das Pandit, who's Subal. Well, he had a deity of Gornitai. He had a deity of Gornitai, he used to worship them. In fact, one day they, what did they do? They, they got up and decided to leave. Something like that. The deities walked off the altar. And he, he said, you can't leave me like this. You have to stay here. And they said, well, you got us stuck here on this, you know, just in one room like this. You know, we got to want to do something else. And he said, no, you have to stay. So they said, all right. So they manifested deity forms on the altar. Then he looked on the altar and said, no, I don't want them. I want you on. So they said, okay. So they went on the altar and the deities walked off. 
<laughs> this was Goridas Pandit's experience. So he worshipped them as Krishna and Balaram. You see how he saw them. That was more how he was absorbed. But he's a Prinarma too, so they are involved in that romantic life to some extent. And they all know Krishna. Krishna loves Radha. That's a great, that's a great thing. That help. Sridham is Radharani's brother. So he knows. Hmm. He knows what his sister is all about. And he approves of it too. <laughs> You're all for that. So, what's the time? 7.45. Anything else? Yes. You mentioned that Draupadi was in Sakharas. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard before that like a female can be in the Sakharas. If males can be go- gopis, then females can be gopas. <laughs> like in the lila. nothing to do with the material body. Oh, yeah, in, the in, the, in the lila, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. is there anything similar in Brashvila? Like a female being Sakharas in Brashvila? I don't know of any that's mentioned by Rupa Goswami. But, no, no, I don't think he mentions any. So it is a little more rare, huh? In the lila itself. Yeah. But um, Rupa Goswami hasn't mentioned any. But he has mentioned Draupadi. Another question? Pardon me? What is it now? To what extent can we receive guidance from Krishna in our lives? I hear about the, the concept of Krishna's plan often, so is there a way to gauge whether we are bending according to Krishna's encouragement? Whether we are bending according to Krishna's encouragement? Uh, well, if you are find yourself receptive to hearing about Krishna as Krishna is represented in a a lineage that represents him, then that would be a good indication that you're bending in the direction of how um, Krishna would uh, like you to conduct yourself, which would result in the uh, realization of your highest potential in relation to him. So I think that's an important kind of uh, foundational stone, so to speak, to get in place, if you want to build a life, build a house of, uh, and live in it with Krishna, <laughs> a house of bhakti. That's very practical because Krishna says things, but then how do we translate that into the practical? That's what his devotees are for. And advanced devotees, they're meant for guiding us, for helping us to bend in such a way that we. I don't know about the plan of Krishna. Yeah, Krishna has a plan, I suppose, for us in his mind. It's in Krishna's mind how we would like to accept service from us eternally. And that unfolds through what we call the Guru Parampara, the lineage through which Krishna teaches about himself in a systematic way. So as we talk tonight, so many details and whatnot, this, this helps to keep us on course and bend us in the direction of where Krishna would wants us to want to go. He can't force, but he almost forces because he's so generous, so charming, so kind, 
it's difficult to avoid him. But a little bit of will we have to exercise. And, of course, the world is pulling on us at a certain stage, too. And we have more charm for that, right? We have more charm for that. It's how pathetic we are, we find condition we find ourselves in. We have more charm and interest for that than for the source of the whole thing. material world is like if Krishna was drawing a picture of his Leela and what really interests him. And then every now and then, in order to clean the brush, he has another canvas and he just kind of goes like that. <laughs> you know, that's the material world over there. <laughs> So, um, it's not very fascinating, in, as fascinating as it is in comparison to, to the source. This is all the working of the sleeping soul here, all the movements of this world. But we find ourselves in a stage, um, even of spiritual interest, more attracted to that side, taken by that side. So we're steered away from our interest by our preoccupation, which is something that's been going on for a long, 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 long time. Anadi, since time without beginning. So habits formed in youth are, are difficult to, to break, to change, right? But um, this group Parampara is a powerful way to change those habits because we really get a very clear idea of, as, as you put it, Krishna's plan. What is our real self-interest? how to be all that we can be. So to connect with that, that's very important kind of foundational step. So find a, a lineage and, a, and a teacher in a lineage that represents Krishna in a way that causes you to become more attracted to Krishna than to the glare, the glitter of the, of the world. And that's something very tangible then. Put your chips there, so to speak, and, and proceed. Yeah. person who can cause your faith to grow by example, by her, his or her speech, both things, by representing the, the teaching authentically, with not just make it up as you go along kind of a thing. But, so, I would say, how do we know if we're bending in the direction of our real interests, which would be Krishna's plan for us, is the question, right? So this would be a good sign. Now, you may, the questioner may already have that in place. So then ask that person who's <laughs> we are taking guidance from how you're doing, something like that. And they probably say, not good enough. You, know, you can always do more. So, but that's a good uh, meter then, to gauge. And really, if we really get that foundational stone in place, taking good guidance, taking shelter of a, of a teacher and, and being systematically trained, so to speak, in bhakti, then we've come a long way. One of my godbrothers used to say, oh, the distance we have traveled thus far in our material sojourn is far greater than the distance we have to go now having met our Gurudev to the finish. That is a short distance, a few lifetimes at most. And in one lifetime, you will go. They say not in one lifetime, but I say in one, you will go. Why not make it this one? So have that kind of resolve then. I will go in this one. A couple like that.
couple lifetimes like that. Certainly you'll go. You see, it takes at least two lifetimes to get that kind of praying that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was talking about. Because it takes at least one more birth. Because Krishna had to take birth as Chaitanya to get it. Even Krishna had to take birth a second time. <laughs> right? That is his Sadhakadeha. So he became attracted to that bhava. He became interested in that. Then he had to take birth again and cultivate it. So, of course, this may be your second birth. Third, fourth, hundred and eighth. So, don't count anything out. Give your all in all now. That's the idea. And really, then you'll see. You're there. Now. Go now. Be there now. <laughs> Ramdas. <laughs> Extended idea. Be there now. So what else? Um, yes. Is it really not difficult? Is it Well, here's one way to measure that. If you have no taste for chanting, then there must be offenses in the background. So you tell me how difficult it is. <laughs> so, no taste for chanting is evidence of some background of offense somewhere. Still hasn't been cleared. And the main of a way in which offenses, so to speak, get in our way is that we don't pay attention to our practice. This is, the, this is the whole idea. Because the practice is given to us, it's a great gift, the opportunity to practice, but we don't pay attention. So, I mean, we become apathetic and, and so forth, and the name gives himself to us, uh, and then we don't take advantage, so it complicates the, the practice. So we should try to pay attention. And we we'll say, well, I try, but I can't. My mind is... But anyway, trying. If you, every day you say you tried your best, no problem. You'll be successful. No matter how difficult the mind is, just try. you try your best. You have to cry when you chant. Why you have to cry? Why I can't cry when I'm chanting? Like that. Why are not tears flowing spontaneously? I cry because they're not, they're not coming. Then maybe they'll come. And then, of course, you have to serve. So before you get water coming out of the eyes, there's a lot of other holes in the body that it should come out of. <laughs> Do something for Krishna. Hmm? Right? Uh, get, you can get busy. Do some seva. Godbrother of mine was living in the forest and he, he came to Vrindavan for some Harikata and he, he met Prabhupada and, he was, and they were talking and Prabhupada said, so where are you living? He says, I'm living in the forest. He says, what are you living there for? Is there any service there? For Krishna there? And he thought for a minute and he said, well, actually, no. <laughs> so then, come on out of there. And then he joined the temple and got absorbed in so much service. Then he had the opportunity to really enter the forest, of the internal forest of Burnout and live there and do seva internally. So we should do some seva externally first. So let some water come out of, perspire a little bit for Krishna. That'll be good. Scrubbing them and mopping them, shrubbing them and kirtan them, something like that. All right, so we stop there. See, man, go, nitanandaki, jai. Harinam, prabhu, ki, jai. She done must have been mahamotsavaki, jai. Gaur, bhakta, vrindaki, jai. Gaur, pray, manandaki.